Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. All right, here we go. Oregon, Washington, with kickoff just past 5 o'clock from Las Vegas Allegiant Stadium. Judah Newby, Stephen Vaughn in for John Cazzano, but let's go live now to Allegiant Stadium, site of the last ever game in this year conference. The final Pac-12 title game, John Cazzano's on the line. John, how are you? Set the scene for us for this final Pac-12 football game. Well, my shoes are on the turf at Allegiant Stadium. I'm down on the field right now. Uh, Bo Nix in Oregon, I'm, I'm standing on their side of the field as they warm up, and Bo Nix is about 10 yards from me going through his pregame kind of warm-up. He's not in pads yet. He's in a, he's in a pair of shorts with some uh, tights and some green shoes, and he's got a, uh, a green hoodie on. But Bo Nix got his earbuds in, and he is warming up, and just a lot of atmosphere here. And a lot of fans outside the stadium, they're just starting to open the gates, and Fans are coming into the stadium, but a lot of fans outside, about 50-50 in the parking lot with Washington fans and Oregon fans. So I just think it's going to be a a rare rivalry game that has sort of a real neutral feel to it. And, you know, I I don't think we've ever seen this before in the history of this series, and we're going to get it today. That's a really good point. 60 career starts for Bo Nix. This will be number 60. I can't imagine that uh, Oregon would when a quarterback other than Bo Nix in a spot like this with so much on the line. Yeah, you look at that, but then you also look at, you know, the, the Washington side is busy pointing out that Bo Nix is 0-10 against teams that are ranked high in the standings. And that comes from his time really at Auburn when he was struggling at Auburn there. But, you know, they're pointing out that, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't won a game like this before. And, you know, he gets the opportunity at this stage of his career. He's obviously older more mature, got a lot of starts under his belt. I, I think both these quarterbacks are, are uh, going to play well tonight. You know, just questions about Michael Penix Jr.'s health. But, you know, you, you have to think that Bo Nix is not the kind of guy. He's just not the kind of guy that makes mistakes. He has not hurt Oregon, only two interceptions. And really only one of those was his fault. The other was a pass that went off the hands of a receiver this season. So Bo Nix just doesn't hurt you. Dan Lanning, 0-2 against Washington. We go back to the game in Seattle. You know All the fourth down decisions. Do you think there's, a, there's an early fourth down in the game? He's going to second-guess himself and not uh, gonna go for it, or is he going to stick to his guns and be aggressive like he always is? I think he's going to stick to his guns. I think you know there's a lot of us that have talked all week about, you know would he kick a field goal early? Yeah, he probably would kick a field goal. But I think if he gets an opportunity in a fourth and one, fourth and two, he's going to say, hey, I have confidence in my team. The thing he has to be careful of in this game is not to let it be, you know, result in a stupid decision. You don't want to make a foolish strategy decision going for it, like from your own 29 or your own 30 in a, in a game, because I think he's got the better team, guys. I think Oregon's playing better. You don't need to steal possessions in this game if you're Dan Lanning. You let your team go out and win this game. Your team's good enough to beat Washington. Meanwhile, if you're Kalen DeBoer, what are you thinking right now? I mean... You're the undefeated team. You've beaten these guys, and now you're 10-point dogs? I think Washington is really embracing that. Like, you know, that they are, you know, normally an undefeated team comes into a game like this, you worry about a letdown. I don't think we'll see a letdown from Kalen DeBoer's team for that reason. I mean, it, it's just sheer disrespect when you look at that spread. And I watched the spread yesterday here in the Vegas Sportsbooks as it swelled to 10 points, and I was just like, wow, at what point if you're Washington – 
do you just go, hey, you know, what do we have to do to get some respect? But, you know, you look at the way they win games, and they, they win close. And they, they really try to keep the game close and then lean heavily onto Michael Penix Jr. And he has been very good in those close games. So Oregon's got to be mindful of not making this a one-possession game at the end where Washington's getting the ball. You know, if you learned anything from week seven, it's, you know, you want the ball in your hands, not Michael Penix Jr.'s hands when the game's on the line. Yeah, 19-game winning streak. I mean, it's, it's, they're win for a reason. But I, I'm with you. I think that spread is about right. I think the spread's about right. Nine and a half seems seems good to me. I think Oregon's that good, you know, that much better of a team. You look at Bo Nix, you talk about the, the non-mistakes he makes. Two interceptions all season long. If Oregon wins this game, and let's just say Bo Nix has an average type of game, you know, one or two touchdowns, n- nothing spectacular, is he going to come away with the Heisman Trophy, or does he need a big game to kind of prove that he wins the Heisman Trophy this season? I think, you know, I think that there's a chance Bo Nix could win the Heisman Trophy just with Oregon winning the game. But if he wants to leave no doubt, he has to come out and he has to be the reason they win the game. He needs another performance where he's got three-plus touchdown passes, 300 yards, completing 75 to 80% of his passes. He does that with so many voters in other regions who haven't had a chance to see him play. He does that uh, with so many people watching and look out. Do you think, do you think the South, people in the South, hold, hold it against him that he had to leave Auburn and he kind of underperformed there? Yeah, I find that really interesting because I've talked to several voters in the South who will say he ran from SEC competition. And you could say the same thing about Jaden Daniels, couldn't you? Like, Jaden Daniels ran from the Pac-12, ran from the competition there. Like, <laughs> I, I think the, the thing that, that, that's probably true is these guys have matured. They've both grown as players. They're better players now. They're playing in systems that are made for them. And, you know, I think too much gets made of that. But I do think that SEC thing could either really help Bo Nix and that maybe some SEC voters are tuned in and go, wow, he's really improved and, Look at all the journey. Look at the journey he was on, and this is tremendous. Or they can't shake it from memory, knowing that he was a guy who struggled at the end at Auburn. Talking to John Cazano, he's got feet on the ground on the turf at Allegiant Stadium right now, just 90 minutes shy of kick between Oregon and Washington in the Pac-12 title game. John, who have you seen around Vegas uh, uh, so far this week? Uh, Any George Klyovkov sightings, Larry Scott sightings, Michael Scott sightings? I don't know. Who who have you seen that you've uh, been able to talk to around around Pac-12 title week of note? Well, George Klyovkov, the Pac-12 commissioner, was on the field here just a bit ago. I don't see him now, but he is in the house. I'll be really curious to see how the fans of Oregon and Washington treat him when he goes to hand the trophy to whoever wins this game. He's going to do that trophy presentation. Uh, I would be very surprised if he is not booed. You know, I wrote today in my column that, you know, all 12 presidents and chancellors should be here. They should have to stand at midfield pregame and let the crowd just jeer at him. And I had one of the Pac-12 presidents reach out to me and he gave you know texted me a uh, laughing emoji like you know we d- basically we deserve that like you know we blew it and now it's there's a sadness that is around this game as well being you know the final pac-12 game as we once knew it oregon and washington in it but in the parking lot guys i ran into dj Uyunglele, the oregon state quarterback who is now i guess going to jump into the transfer portal on monday i talked to dj for just a minute i congratulated him on a nice season, told him to stay in touch. Be curious to see where he ends up. Um, looks like Cam Ward is trying to tell the world that he may be headed to Oregon. So look out there. Like, could we see some Cam Ward at Oregon? What do you think Next about season? that? Um, what do you think about that possibility? The portal's going to be opening, and it's going to be a big deal. But, you know, just 
when I do my next hit, I can probably give you more of a flavor of who's down here on the field. What, what do you think about a Cam Ward to Oregon possibility? I, look, I like his game. I don't love it. You know, I think I think he shows flashes of being the kind of quarterback that can take you to the next level. But you know, I, I think a guy like uh, Dante Adams at UCLA probably has a brighter future and a higher ceiling. But you know, if you're looking for a stopgap, ask for Bo Nix. Cam Ward's not a bad guy to have in your stable with the experience he's had and the weapons that he has. The transfer portal is so fascinating. I mean, then the you know rumors of Dante Moore going back to maybe Detroit, like at Michigan State, Jonathan Smith, or go to Michigan. I mean, just everywhere you look, um, just craziness everywhere. But Trent Bray hired officially as the Oregon State head coach. Um, thoughts on that? It was the hire, and then you know, coordinator wise, you know, he even talked about this how you know he can sell the defense. How important of an offensive coordinator hire is it going to be for Trent Bray in year one to keep the competition? Uh, for Oregon State, because they, they've made it clear. They made it clear in the press conference they want to compete for the expan- one of the expanded bursts in the college football playoff. How important is that offensive coordinator hire going to be for Trent? Yeah, it's huge. It's huge. It's everything. It's it's the same as, you know, Dan Lanning, a defensive-minded guy, having an offensive coordinator that he could trust and Kenny Dillingham and now Will Stein. You need that complementary piece to be part of the puzzle and part of the equation. And I think – for uh, for the uh, for the Oregon State operation, you know, keep an eye on a guy like Ryan Gunderson, who has been at UCLA with Chip Kelly. Uh, you know, Gunderson, Oregon State ties through and through. He's ready for a coordinator position. You know, he could be the guy. Uh, I would I would assume that Trent Bray is familiar with Gundy, so keep an eye on him as a possibility there. And then what I would do if I was Oregon State is, you know, they're going to have the same salary pool, so it's about almost five million dollars in assistant coach salary pool. I would go out and I would just try to get uh, gangbusters recruiters, spend on your recruiters. You need talent. You're going to need talent right away. On the bright side, the transfer, same transfer portal that's killing you can help you. And, you know, if Oregon State plays that right, they're going to have a lot of opportunity for playing time and hopefully uh, some NIL money to go along with it. But, you know, for Oregon State, it's, it's, they're in survival mode right now. Speaking of survival mode with Oregon State, you know, it's kind of been, it's been announced that the uh... – the formation, I guess, with the foundation with the Mountain West is going to be clear for next season, uh, but not after that. There's the deal on the table, but it hasn't been agreed to. Even Scott Barnes said that. You know, what, you, you've you been saying this. You've been on it for a while, but uh, what do you think of the official announcement that they're going to have you know, the, um, the connection with the Mountain West going forward into next season? Well, it works for both sides. It gives Oregon State and Washington State an ability to fill out their schedule. I know they're concerned about that. It gives them an additional six games. From Oregon State's standpoint, they've got Purdue on the schedule. Scott Barnes is saying that, you know, they're going to play Washington State. That's another Power 4, Power 5 game. And then, then he's going to go out and he's going to hunt for other Power 5 conference games. One of them could be the Civil War continuing. Keep an eye on that. Also could be a chance that, the, you know, Stanford or Cal ends up playing against Oregon State. So keep an eye on those things as well. But, you know, it, this to me is the best-case scenario for Washington State and Oregon State. They're buying themselves a little time. They are not committing to being a full-fledged member of the Mountain West. This is not a merger. It's a scheduling partnership, so they're keeping it at arm's length. Do you think that – because the clarity now is good, right? It's good to have clarity, but does being associated with the Mountain West instead of a Pac-12 or a Power 4 conference, does that affect the transfer portal a lot for Oregon State? Because you said that can really help. It affects fan support, but I think it's going to be really important that Oregon State does a lot of marketing and a lot of selling and a lot of promoting of what the plan is. Because, you know, there are some people out there that think this is a merger and, oh, they just joined the Mountain West. No, they need to make clear, like, this Oregon State and Washington State's plan may be to never join the Mountain West. 
It may just be that they play a season or two. They hope that college football has another round of realignment, and they hope that they can get out and that they can uh, turn this and parlay this into membership in a Power Four conference. What's your feeling on Aiden Childs' next steps? I believed all along that he's with Jonathan Smith, that he wasn't really committed to Oregon State, that it was more of a commitment to the coaching staff. So I would be surprised if he did not follow Jonathan Smith. But I also know that if guys like Cam Ward are going to jump into the portal and get seven figures, that's seven figures out there for Aiden Childs as well. So I think it'll be really interesting to see what his family does. I just remember when back in August I reached out to his mother, Nikki, when the whole Pac-12 thing was imploding. And I kind of trying to gauge, you know, what was Aiden's commitment to Jonathan Smith and the program. And the messaging that I got was, in Jonathan, we trust. Like, we're with Jonathan. It wasn't necessarily Oregon State. Now, you know, that's not to say he's gonna, you know, he wouldn't stay at Oregon State if, if the NIL deal was, was right and he felt good about it. But I would be a little surprised if he didn't seriously consider leaving and going to Michigan State on Monday. But we'll keep an eye on it like everybody else. We'll get you out on this, and we'll look forward to connecting with you next hour as well, John. And thanks for joining us from the field at Allegiant Stadium. That's that's epic stuff. But is there also some emotion around both fan bases that you can feel around the, the finality of everything? I mean, you, you talk about George Glyovkov and, and the presidents and George being there to hand out this trophy at the end of it. But can you feel a, a sense of finality among the fan base and almost a, uh, wow, I can't believe... I can't believe this is it kind of way because that's kind of how I feel right about now. Yeah, I got a you know I got an interesting message from uh, for former state senator Peter Courtney just a few minutes before I made this call. He left me a voicemail saying you know he, he wasn't sure he, he could even watch the game, and you know he'll watch it. But he, he was speaking I think for a large segment of the audience that is saying that that you know you simultaneously couldn't wait for this game to get here, but you also didn't want it to get here because it does signal the end of something that we all knew and, and lasted for 108 years. And, you know, I think that the Oregon and Washington fan bases will be distracted here for three or four hours while this game is being played. But I think a lot of the country and a lot of people tuning in and watching are going to be thinking about the finality of this and what college athletics is going to look like in five years. And there's a lot up in the air still. It's good stuff, John. We'll talk to you again in about 40 minutes. We appreciate it. Sounds great. Thank you, guys. Live from Allegiant Stadium in Vegas. That You can't get that anywhere else. Namesake of the show, bringing us uh, the latest, about 10 yards away from where Bo Nix is warming up for the biggest game of his life. Yeah, right before uh, Bo Nix wins the Heisman Trophy. How about that? That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> I might be a little biased, Judah, but, uh, you know. Latest odds on that, by the way. Bo is minus 200. Jaden Daniels, plus 160. And Michael Penix Jr., plus 1,600. Yeah, I don't think Penix has any chance. He's going to New York, though, right? Right. I think it's those three guys. Marvin Harrison Jr. going to New York? I don't think so. I think it's just the three quarterbacks, don't you? And then I, I, I just I don't even see a scenario. I guess there would be a scenario where if Penix has five touchdowns and throws a game-winning touchdown or something, maybe he's back in it. But I, I don't see that. I think it's I think it's Daniels or Knicks. I think Bo Nix, if he has a good game and the Ducks win, it's, it, it's, his to, it's his to lose. I also forgot that George Klyovkov is going to hand out the trophy at the end of the game. He's kind of gone radio silent, I feel like. I would, too. Then he's making his making the debut back out there. He well, better get booed. He uh, Remember when Larry got booed a few years ago? I think that was the 19 game in Santa Clara, and he got booed, and rightfully so. George is going to George is gonna. I know I'm going to be booing when I watch him on TV. Yeah. Just well, thumbs down. Two th- like the, thumbs. the Mets fans just... 
two exactly. Thumbs down. down Mets fan. 503-417-7575. Uh, that was John Cazano live from Allegiant Stadium. We'll catch up with him again around uh, 420 or so next hour. Bounce a break, come back, whip around some other headlines, and keep uh, previewing. Oregon and Washington, the number five team in the country against the number three team in the country. And number five is a heavy favorite. Go figure. And we'll chat some playoff scenarios along the way. Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn in for John Cazano right here on the Bald Face Truth. All right, let's go back out to Las Vegas and Allegiant Stadium. Judah Newby, Stephen Vaughn will be joined by the namesake of this show, John Cazano, once again. John, how you doing? And what's the feeling inside the stadium? Well, the teams are on the field now, Judah, and they're in uniform. Fans are jazzed. There's a lot of... A lot of fans already in the building, about 47 minutes to kick off here, but I'm down standing on the Oregon warm-up side of the field. The Ducks are just kind of going through their progressions and their pregame warm-ups. They're in full uniform. But the interesting thing that, that I noticed right away is, you know, the Ducks came out of the tunnel today in a very different way than they did in Week 7 against Washington. I was standing on the field at Husky Stadium when they came out and. It was a lot of emotion. They were very fired up, maybe too much emotion. There's heavy emotion here, but very, very much more business-like this time around. I don't see the yelling and screaming. It's just sort of like a business trip for the Ducks. It's really an interesting twist from Week 7. I know uh, you were next to Bo Nix when he was warming up. Uh, any, any looks at, at Michael Penix Jr. out there as kickoff approaches? Yeah, I walked down to the Washington side to watch him throw a little bit, and he does look a little ginger. I don't know if that's in my head because we're, we've talked about his ribs all week, but, you know, he's got the flak jacket on as he did uh, throughout most of the second half of the season. Seems to be able to make all the throws, but, you know, I, I don't think we're really going to know until we see him a series or two into the game. Does Washington try to take some pressure off him and try to run the ball early? Do they uh, try to get the ball out of his hands quickly? Keep an eye on how, on the play calling and how they treat that because it may it may give us an indication as to his health. What is uh, what's the fan situation looking like? Is it still is it still a fifty fifty type of crowd, or is there uh, one of the crowd fan bases getting a little bigger than the other? Yeah, it, it's really going to be fifty fifty. It's it's just an unusual rivalry game in that you know normally we see this at Husky Stadium or Autzen Stadium where it is a home crowd, but. This one's going to be 50-50 all the way. As I look around, I see about half the half the stands are purple, the other half are green, um, and just a lot of people standing and taking pictures, and you know a lot of excitement still with 45 minutes to go before kickoff. So I think of 2019 and the way that Oregon dominated Utah. I think of 2020 and the way they handled USC. I throw out 2021 because Mario was already, you know, a foot toward Coral Gables at that point. What kind of feeling do you get tonight, John? Is is this just, I know it's a whole new regime and and coaching staff, but does this feel like another spot where Oregon's going to play their best ball on the national stage like they have before? I I have to think so, and I think they need to because, in my mind, you know, this is not settled that the winner of this game is automatic to the playoff. Like, if Oregon wins this game, you, you really need Alabama to beat Georgia to remove all doubt. Or Oregon has to win this game in a way that, that tells the committee, hey, you cannot leave this team out. This might be the best team in America. That's the kind of game that Oregon needs to play today. How important is a win for Dan Lanning early on in his coaching career, having lost to Washington a few times? 
if Oregon get a win, especially if they win by margin, you know, almost double-digit favorites, they win by double digits. Does it really kind of right a lot of the wrongs that he's done so far uh, in those couple losses? Yeah, I think it's his biggest game by far, without question. I think you have to think of that, and you have to know, you know, we're watching the growth or the evolution of a head coach. We saw this before with Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly has some growing pains, too. He had some games where, especially game one, where his team didn't perform very well against Boise State in that, that opener that season. But we're, we're really looking for Dan Lanning, who is 15-3 all-time at Oregon in conference games. You know, his only losses have come to Washington twice and Oregon State. This is the kind of game he's got to win to show that he is progressing. And, frankly, he outcoached himself in the first meeting between these two teams. Oregon should have won that game. We all know that. I think Washington knows that. You know, I, I was nitpicking Will Stein a little bit in that first game as well, John. Uh, what about the play callers? Uh, Ryan Grubb's a great one. Will Stein's been a very, very good one. What do you see in the play callers on the offensive sides tonight? I'm really going to be curious to see if one or both of the coordinators tries to take some pressure off the quarterback and establish the run game first. Yeah, I think we've seen Oregon do that in some games where they'll go a little Bucky Irving heavy to start the game and then come back with Bo Nix because it just, you know, it opens so much more up if you can establish the run game. So I'll keep an eye on that from Will Stein's perspective. You know, I just, you know, the thing that I keep coming back to, guys, is I think Oregon's the better team. I think they were the better team in Week 7. They don't need to try to steal possessions in this game. They don't need to go for it on 4th and 4 from their own 40. They don't need to not kick the field goal when it's in front of them. The better team should take the points, do what's natural. It will put a lot of pressure on Washington if Oregon just plays its game. To that point, if Oregon doesn't have to make some plays, that would mean Washington does need to make some plays, especially defensively. Braylon tries to pass rush. He's been getting after the quarterback a lot lately, especially. How how much of an effect do you think they can Washington's pass rush, pass rush can get on the Oregon offensive line and uh, you know pressure Bo Nix into making some some errant throws? Yeah, it, that's they're going to have to, and nobody has done it to this point. I mean, I think the opposition has really struggled to get to Bo because he gets rid of the ball fast gets it out, and frankly, if you load up too much and you blitz too much, Oregon could kill you either in the pass game or the run game. That's, that's really, it creates a lot of problems. So, you know, controlling the line of scrimmage, very important to both teams. We'll find out early which way the piles are falling, but I'm, I'm really looking at that and hoping that Oregon cannot be one-dimensional in this game. They need to really be balanced, and they are the most balanced team, but let that balance shine. We played some audio earlier in the show. Uh, Pete Thamel of ESPN and Desmond Howard uh, on the college football show. They're picking Washington to win, John. Uh, have you talked to anybody else out there around that, that's given Washington a good chance to win this game? Because maybe I'm in an echo chamber, but everything I, I see and hear and people I talk to think this is a game that Oregon can win and maybe win going away. Yeah, and I, I think sometimes... The, uh, the, the four-letter network panders to the bigger media market. That's, they know where the TV sets are. So I think, you know, when I'm looking at this, I'll go back to the guy who we know to be the biggest Washington honk in the land. <laughs> Who's the biggest Washington honk in the land, guys? Dave Softy. Softy Mauler. Okay, Softy, after the Week 7 win, came by me in the press box and leaned down to me as I was writing my column, and he said, Oregon is the better team if any other coach had coached today, Oregon wins the game. I, I, Softy said that at Husky Stadium. You know, I think if you're looking at this one from a standpoint of 
who should we pick? Las Vegas has the Ducks as a 10-point favorite. Hard to go against that right now. So are you saying it would be an embarrassment if Oregon loses this game? I, yeah, yeah, it would be outright embarrassing. It would be an embarrassment. <laughs> now, look, I, you know, I'm, I'm down here in the field. I'm like five yards away from the Oregon uh, defensive line that, as they are warming up. These guys are all business, guys. Mm. I'm telling you, it's not a lot of yelling and shouting and hype. It's just they're very businesslike and laser-like focused as they have been for about six weeks. It's a lot different. Remember the Mario Cristobal teams, like uh, the game in Pullman in 2018 yes. that you wrote about? Yeah. A little bit of a different vibe, huh? Yeah. It is. I mean, there's. I don't see anybody shouting. I don't see anybody yelling. I don't see anybody jumping around. I'm, I'm looking into the eyes of these players. It's not apathy. It's just they are focused right now. Sounds like a very confident group, uh, you know, because Dan Landing, he, he's known to be yelling and screaming, but if, you know, maybe that's the strategy this week is to keep it that way. So, uh, so what's, what's your take, John? What's your pick in this game? Is it going to be Oregon minus the nine and a half, or are you taking Washington plus the points? I like Oregon to, to win. Even though you look at historically, you look at Kalen DeBoer. He doesn't lose games and he doesn't get blown out, right? You know, he, eight straight games that Washington has played with a point differential is 10 points or less. Uh, you know, Washington likes to keep the game close. They think they have the better quarterback who can win in close games. That's their whole M.O. But uh, I'll take Oregon. I think I just think Oregon's been too good, and they've been playing angry since that Week 7 loss. I think they continue it. Hopefully the kicking game doesn't come into effect for the Oregon Ducks on that one. Yeah, yeah. You need to, you need to not make it about that. I was just getting used to Las Vegas being this epicenter of championship football. I know. Now it's going to be Indianapolis? I don't know about that. Well, still keep keep an eye on it. You know, you could see Oregon State and Washington State try to put this thing back together. Who knows? But I did uh, see George Klyovkov. I shook his hand. He said he's available later to talk. We'll see what he has to say. But Pac-12 commissioners here, guys. I was was going to have you send a message to George Klyovkov for me, but it sounds like, you know, (laughs) mine wouldn't be a very good message. Last thing for you, what's Oliver Luck's deal? You know, I haven't heard his name a lot lately. Does he still have a role, if at all, in this thing? He's consulting. He's, you know, and he's consulting with a number of different entities. But he's talking with Oregon State, Washington State, giving them ideas, being a sounding board. He's also consulting with SMU, helping them in their transition as they move into the ACC. So, you know, he's got his hands in a lot of different things. He's not likely to be the commissioner of the New World Pac-2. I don't think that's going to be his role. But, you know, he's around, and, you know, he has proven to be a sounding board for those schools, just sort of giving them ideas. But the plan for Oregon State and Washington State is to survive for the next 12 to 24 months and then look up and see if there's a conference they can join because, they want to be in a power four, and they, and they think they belong in a power four. John, we really appreciate it. What's uh, what's your final score prediction once again? I got. I'll, I'll take Oregon thirty-five, Washington twenty-one. The Ducks cover. Confetti falls, and uh, look for the Ducks in the Rose Bowl in a college football playoff semifinal. Ooh-hoo-hoo. That would be awesome. against Michigan, I guess. Uh, in that scenario, um, old school. It's just like it should have been, right? <sighs> Dude, you're pulling at the heartstrings now. <laughs> that, that'll be perfect. We appreciate the time, John. I know uh, Monday at 3 o'clock you'll be back in the chair hosting, talking about uh, a number of things. But in the meantime, we'll follow you at John Cazzano BFT and read you at johncazzano.com. Thanks for joining us from Vegas. Thanks, fellas. Thank you, guys.
That's good stuff right there, man. That is good stuff right there. So he's got Oregon winning this game. He's got that uh, final score, 35-21. That's kind of similar to how I feel like it's going to be. I've got Oregon 34-24. Both of those scenarios have that game going under. The The total is right around 64, Stephen. So uh, I, I think it's going to be a little bit more of an under type of game than the the high flying high uh, high fast paced octane type of game that others are predicting. Yeah, that's not this is not really who the Ducks are, right? The Ducks aren't a quick strike offense, and and I could see a lot of it where it was kind of like last weekend's Oregon State, where they're taking you know five six minutes, seven minutes, they have the eight minute drive to start the game. I think they kind of need to do that against Washington, just prove the physicality and prove that they're the better team. And kind of like John said right there. Those players, they know they're better, and and they're acting like they are. I, I think that they want to go out and they just want to prove that we're better on the field, we're stronger than you are, and that could be very uh, very interesting to see. How, what was your take on that, how he said there wasn't a lot of screaming, wasn't a lot of emotion from the Oregon players. It was more business-like, you know, almost feel confident enough that they don't have to have necessarily, you know, get overhyped for this game. Well, it's it's interesting. Dan Landing seems to know how to press uh, certain buttons at the right time, right? And, like, before the, the Colorado game, I think, you know, we all got a, a chance to see what Dan, Dan Landing was like when he really wanted to, you know, hype his team up and, and get them ready to go. Rooted in substance, not flash. Rooted in substance. Today, we talk with our pads. You talk with your helmet, right? Every moment. The Cinderella story is over, man, right? They're fighting for clicks, we're fighting for wins. There's a difference, right? There's a difference, right? This game ain't gonna be played in Hollywood, it's gonna be played on the grass, right? It's gonna be played on the grass. Let's go. Gets you freaking hyped. And then Softy had to come in right before the Washington game. Yeah, yeah, because UW is just in it for clicks, and we do our talking with our pads. That's what we do here at Oregon, right? So I, I can't wait for UW if they win this game on Saturday. I want to walk into Lanning's postgame presser and ask him, hey, Dan, how many clicks do you think UW got with this win today over your football team? But- and Softy also said, of course, that it would be an embarrassment if Oregon lost to UW as an underdog. And they did lose to UW. This time, though, Softy might be right. It might be a little bit more embarrassing if uh, Oregon lost this game tonight. If if Oregon are to lose this game, I, I think, you know, not that Dan Lane would be any type of hot seat or anything like that, but there's got to be questions about Dan Lane and his coaching, coaching ability on, on the sidelines. Let's get your predictions in at 503-417-7575. Don is in Tiger. Don, your prediction for Ducks and Huskies. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm going to go with 45, uh, let's see, 27. Uh, I got uh, Penix only going three touchdown passes and two field goals, and I got I got Bo Nix with seven touchdowns. All right. Well, that's hard to do because seven touchdowns would be 49 points. And yeah, 45 to 27, but uh, I'll take it. How about a seven-touchdown, 45-point game? That would be a first. Well, they could technically not go get the extra points. Could we miss some extra points at Judah? That is very or true. Or they go for two. It actually is possible. Don, you're right. I, I apologize. So, it's, not a given, it's not a given that they would score seven points on a touchdown. <laughs> you're right about that. Uh, I would say, safe to say, if they if it's a seven-touchdown game out of Bo Nix, there's your Heisman winner. Yeah, I think the, uh, the Heisman <laughs> odds goes from minus 200 to minus 2,000 at that point. Um, I, I, you know, I don't think that's what it's going to be. I think Bucky Irving, you said this earlier, is going to have a bigger part in this game. I think the Ducks want to run the football. Like John said, you know, who I think both teams are going to try to want to establish the run early. 
it's one of these games you know, where I think maybe you know, a first quarter under, you know, maybe it's like a seven to three game or seven zero game after the first quarter where both teams kind of feeling each other out a little bit, get the nerves out. Um, there's a lot of line in this game. That's the thing. These are just kids, right? You know, eighteen to twenty three year olds. You got to get the bird, you know, the nerves out a little bit. So I'll be interested to see what the, how the first quarter is in this game. I think the the first quarter, the first half will dictate a lot about what kind of game this is going to be. If Oregon controls this game from start to finish, well. You'll know it from from jump. You'll know if it's an eight to ten minute drive, like you were talking about, Stephen, like they had against the Beavers. Uh, you'll get good feelings if you're a Duck fan. Five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five with your prediction. Uh, the game does kick off uh, right around five o'clock. In the five o'clock hour, we'll do the five at five. We'll also hit on some other topics around the world of sports. We'll also be giving away a lot of tickets. We'll be giving away tickets. For Kenny Chesney and Zach Brown Band that are going to Lumen Field uh, next summer, giving away some tickets for that and WWE Raw. So if you're interested in winning some tickets to some stuff, uh, stuff we all get, swag, as Michael Scott would say, if you want uh, if you want some swag, uh, be around for the 5 o'clock hour. We'll tell you how to get it right here on the Bald Face Truth. Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn on the BFT.